<laughs> Welcome back to the Wake Up With Wesley show. I'm Wesley, and it's been a really long time, you guys. Almost two years now since I signed off and told you all I'd be back in just a few short weeks. But here I am, 20-ish months later, finally ready to come back to the show. So first things first, where'd I go? This is what everyone wants to know. And up until two months ago, I would have told you that I didn't go anywhere. I did tell you this. Like I told you all on my Instagram one day that my my lack of presence here in this audio world and online too, like the world we all live and die by now, like I, I thought it meant me being absent from it all. I thought that it meant that I've just been much more present in my day-to-day life. And that's a little bit true. But also what I now know to believe is, is something a little bit different. So God, I never know how to start this stuff and I never know how to end this stuff. You got to know this about me. Like I just like the middle, the juicy meaty parts. So let's just skip all the introductions and just get into the middle. So something changed for me in December, 2020. I was 12 months into doing an episode here every week. I didn't miss, I didn't miss a show, but suddenly and strangely, I found myself in this crazy like almost like an out of body experience where I was triggered into a trauma response. And now here's the funny part. If there could be a funny part about trauma, I don't know if there is, but it's funny to me. So over, over probably a month before this, this event happened, I did an episode with Dr. Maureen Rubin here on the show. You can listen to it right now where she broke down trauma and trauma responses. And I'd always been aware of fight, flight, and freeze, but I had never heard of friending or fawning. It was news to me. And so if you listen back to that episode, you can hear me in real time discover that I've been living like a sickeningly large part of my life in a fawning trauma response. And this is obviously something I'm not proud of. It's been it's been a lot to unpack private, privately, but I mean, how crazy is life? Because maybe only 45 days after that, I I mean, I just learned all this new information and then I found myself in a highly triggering, crazy situation. And what do I do in the midst of it? Fawn, friend, I acted. But what was different about this was that while it was all happening, I knew what I was doing. Like I wasn't unconscious about it for maybe the first time in my life. And I think that's why it felt so out of body. It was like I was watching it from like a a third party perspective. It didn't feel like I was living it. And did I feel in control of my body's natural trauma response? Even with the new awareness and education I just had gotten? No, not at all. But regardless, it happened. Only this time around, I could unpack it differently because of my knowledge. And, and I had tools. And, and also, like I had this new sort of appreciation for my body's natural instinct just to keep me safe. I knew that that's what it was. Like instead of shame, I actually felt appreciation. I was... I was annoyed that I was ever in this uncomfortable situation, but also truly appreciative of my body. Like it always has my back and it just sort of changed everything for me. It was, it was the start of a new season of life, but I didn't, I I didn't know it then. I couldn't see it. And I have notes here and it says, Wes, talk about the breadcrumbs, (laughs) the freaking breadcrumbs, you guys, the breadcrumbs, they were there the whole while through, like I was on this path. It started then that I couldn't even see until after I made the entire trip, looked behind me and it was like, whoa, holy crap, there's this distinct path 
that I've been walking on for almost two years. And on that path, there's breadcrumbs. There were breadcrumbs every corner for me to pick up. And each breadcrumb eerily mimicked a lot of old shit for me, (laughs) old patterns, like old cycles. It felt a lot of the time like God was like, hey, Wes, let's put put all you've learned to the test, which is funny because I don't even believe in a God that tests you. But I know I test me. I test myself. So maybe it was me testing me, my highest self, my ancient self, who the hell knows? Who knows anything really? Just it kind of is what it feels like though. But anyway, I've been in a death cycle unlike any I've ever been in before, which oddly enough has me thinking of butterflies a lot. And just stick with me here because we all know metamorphosis. We all know how the story goes that for a caterpillar to become a butterfly, it just it just makes a cute little cocoon, a little chrysalis, and then magically morphs into a butterfly. And we all love that transformation story of the caterpillar to the butterfly. And what I am just like, what I think about, what catches me off guard is what everyone fails to mention most often is that inside that little chrysalis, that the caterpillar, it it literally dissolves into a disgusting puddle of goo. It melts itself down into this snotty boogerish thing. You can look it up on Google. It's, it looks like a loogie, phlegm, a thing. And what's even more fascinating to me is that the caterpillar uses its own digestive enzymes to melt. It, it melts itself down into this gooey soup by choice. Like the caterpillar literally decides to eat. It, it eats itself into this puddle and it's gross and disgusting. And also like the most necessary part that no one talks about how the caterpillar literally eats itself into a puddle of slime to become the butterfly. They talk about the caterpillar. They talk about the bug crawling along, making its cute little thing. And then the struggle that the butterfly has to get out of the chrysalis. But why don't people talk about the goo phase? Like the necessary step of the caterpillar needing to kill off parts of itself to step into a newer version. And also like this has to be said, no one's doing this for the caterpillar. It's self-motivated. No little bug friends help this guy out. There's no assistance. Like the caterpillar just decides to eat itself one day with its own acids and hopes for the best. It's following its nature. And and a huge part of this for me is that the caterpillar has to do this all privately in total isolation. And I think transformation in most aspects calls for some sort of privacy, some sort of isolation. I think it calls for a timeout of all of life, of all socializing and work and the freaking dishes. And I know that that people leave this out of the butterfly story because I think people in general usually want to skip past all the gooey, gross phases of life because they're not cute. They're often dark, like maybe just a little too human-y too, too real, right? Like too, maybe too relatable and maybe not a good story. It's a gross story. But what, what if I like talking about the goo phases of life? Because that's where I've been. And like that snotty, phlegmy goo phase, it's where I actually live. And, and honestly, right now I'm so scared because I'm on the other side of it, of the snot phase. I'm, I'm scared that I'm so different than before that we won't relate here anymore, you and me. Like, <clears throat> that's my fear. I feel sad about 
not being my happier, more trusting, cute little bug self anymore. Like I used to be the person to invite literally 20 strangers into my home, feed them, care for them, give them beds. Well, never again. I can tell you that. I'll never be that person again because whatever I've been transforming, transitioning into is more, I feel delicate, more delicate than I ever was before, yet stronger in other ways. And and here there's this like, it's a wisdom inside of me that knows now how people can and will be reckless with me. They could damage my new little legs and my tissue paper thin wings. So I've, I've had to change the way I live and operate inside this world because, because of the trans, I mean, the transformation I've been in has called me to do this. I owe it to myself to protect myself from the world in a way that I, I never have before. And there is a grief to this that needs to be mentioned. I'm in mourning. I've been in mourning. And for whatever reason, I feel like I owe it to all of you for some reason to come back and be the same old me, like positive and happy. And, and maybe this is why it's taken me as long as it has to start this thing back up. Like I've been waiting for my old self to return. You guys just patiently waiting, but now I know she's not, she's gone. This is who you get now. (sighs) Here's the thing though. And it's that deep inside of me, I am more positive and I do feel happier than I have before. Like I'm living more in alignment and authentically than I have before. So on the inside, things are better, but outwardly I'm, I know I'm more cold. I have more boundaries. I have a stronger vetting system. I've got walls a mile high and guess what? I like them. Don't even think about tearing them down. Everyone's like, oh, bring down your walls, bring down your, I'm like, bring them up, bring them up. I think they're great. And I don't care to make you or anyone else comfortable any longer, like ever again, really. Like I, I, who I am today doesn't care to hold grown people's hands any longer when I introduce what I do here, alternative healing modalities that I partake in. Like I don't care to water myself down or the practices I choose to use because other grown up people, adults think they're taboo or weird. Like what I thought I was doing before in season one was gently introducing you all to my conscious expanding modalities practices. Like, like I, I envisioned myself like slowly holding hands with you guys, just wading us all into a little kiddie pool of certain different soul expansion tools, baby steps, baby steps. Like I would be like, you guys, I know it's weird. Yes, it's taboo. Okay. So this one's a little woo woo. Don't worry. You'll see. Or like I, I, I listened back to my show and I was like, why the hell do I always do this? I would be like, you guys don't take my word for it. You know what? Don't even listen to me. Here is a scientist. Here's a doctor. Here's a therapist. They've done a little science experiment to prove what I've actually been living in my real life experiments with my, like my own body. Trust them over my voice. Don't listen to me. I know nothing. Believe this person over me. Like my cute little nervous Nelly self, just trying not to make people uncomfortable like well-intended self who still wanted to be accepted and not freak people out too much. She's gone. She's dead. I'm just, I'm not going to talk about this stuff like it's weird or taboo or woo-woo anymore because it's disrespectful. It's disrespectful to the practices and also to myself because it is not weird. It is not woo-woo. It's powerful healing tools intended to get stuck people unstuck. And I respect the practices and their heritage and, and the ancient wisdom in it all. And I respect the shit out of me for seeking them out. So yeah, I just, 
don't care anymore. I can't worry about other people's comfort level because guess why? It's actually making me uncomfortable. So if you're uncomfortable here talking about, I mean, I mean, I guess hearing about me and my people talking about real life stuff, death, expansion, womanhood, mistakes, triumphs, medicine, God, hells of our own making, prisons of our own making, truth. And I'm talking like our naked truths, not the truth that sound good, but the real truth. Then turn this shit off right now. Because I promise you this show is not for you. You will hate it. (laughs) You'll hate it. So uh, there's your warning. Let's just get back to where I've been. And I guess we got to go back to December 2020. Shit. Okay. Okay. So there there was a shift going on inside of me and I intuitively felt it. I knew I needed to go retreat into myself to really give attention to and like address everything coming up. This was the cocoon building phase that I felt coming on. So I signed off the show. And when I signed off for season one, I thought I'd be right back. I told you guys all, if you listen to my last episode, I'm like, I'll be right back. Because as they say in show business, folks, the show must go on. And also there's just, there's pressure for the show to go on. Like heavy pressure because you need consistency these days, right? Like that's what everyone tells you. You show up whether you want to or not. The Tony Robbins, the David Goggins, any successful person will tell you this, that you you need consistency and discipline. And that discipline, that's what gets you respect. It's It could also be called professionalism. But, but what about our nature, you guys? Like what if, what if discipline or corporate professionalism isn't what I'm striving for at all? Like, what if the only thing I want to be consistent it like with is honoring myself and my family? Is that respected? Because in, in our society, I can tell you right now, it is not. No matter if they tell you it is, it's not. Because think about this. Think about this. Maternity leave in the United States. Most workplaces give the women six weeks paid maternity leave to like to have a baby. Then you get back to work. And Think about buying a puppy here in the United States. When you buy a brand new puppy, we all know it's unethical. It is unmoral to take that puppy from its mother anytime before like eight weeks. So animals get more time with their newborn babies than most of us human women do. If we want to be considered professional or have a career or make enough money to afford to have children. So no, I do not think we as people get get the respect to even choose how we want to honor our nature or the different seasons that we all go through as humans. But I'll tell you what, I respect it. I ask, I I respect the shit out of it because I know I'm not a machine. I'm a woman who will honor my seasons. So I will have seasons of sharing and seasons of retreat where I will pull back from the outside world to dive deeper into myself, my somatic self, my mind, body, my soul self. Like you all deserve to know this about me, that I will leave this show anytime I feel called to. That's a promise. And I I think I'm going to come back when the time is right too. But there won't be any pressure on me to do so. So I felt that call to stop the show. And I did. And I gave the people around me about 36 hours notice too. Like it stopped abruptly. I just hit my limit. I hit a wall. And what's funny about this is by that time, like I was getting more and more traction. People were really noticing, listening in the ad people, Spotify people, who know important podcast people. I call them suits. They're businessmen like suits. And I think that this is what everyone hopes for. I, I know it is. It doesn't have to be with podcasting. 
Like I truly be, if you're a human starting anything, I know we all start it with the hopes of it somehow, some way taking off, getting noticed, whether it's a promotion, you're an artist, a musician, whatever. We all do it to get noticed. And what I found out about me is that as things continue to grow here, I truly, in fact, hate this. <laughs> like, I hate this for real. I'm not being cute right now. Like the girl who's like, don't throw me a party and is then sad when she doesn't get a party. I mean what I say when I say I'm entirely uncomfortable with this part of it. Like, and not uncomfortable in the way that growth is uncomfortable. Like, in, But I'm talking about in a way that I was like, ooh, I don't want a public life at all. This, it feels like a prison to me. So it's something I don't want. But then why the hell am I back? Why am I coming back even with these feelings? Because at the same time, there is something in my soul pushing me to speak here. It's a little hell of my own. This is a prison of my own making. I don't want this and I want this. And let's just say there's been little else in my life compared to podcasting that has been such a mirror for me. It's like a self-growth tool. It really pushes me. And this, I think, is that desire, like the want. Because I just, I hope you all get the opportunity one day to hear yourself record on the fly because you get to know yourself in a way. And uh, there were there there were times when I listened back to myself and I fell in love with myself. Like I was like, wow, I'm really like proud of what I'm saying right there. And then there were times that I listened back and I was like, oh, cringing. Like it's just, it, it can be torturous to have to listen back to yourself when you are not vibing with what you yourself are saying. It's a weird thing, you guys. It's such a weird thing, but nothing like doing this show has ever catapulted me into wanting to be like the most true version of myself, more in line with what I think and feel and believe. Like it's been a spiritual practice for me unlike any other. It's sharpening my myself. So I'm I am grateful for the experience that season one was. It illuminated a lot of things for me. One of them being that 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 fear that I just talked about. Like I have a fear of being truly seen. But yet at the same time, my life's biggest desire, my biggest want in life is to be fully known. To be known, like to be, and to be known, you have to be seen to be fully understood. And when your life's greatest desire conflicts directly with your your life's biggest fear, you are in a weird pickle. And this pickle is where I've been. It's the goo phase. It's gross. So, I mean, nonetheless, the show started to fell out of alignment at, at that time and I stopped. I told myself back then there were a lot of reasons as to why I thought this was happening for me. And and I thought it was like because of the production side of things. Like because really you got to know the sitting down and the chatting with people always came easy. That has never been my work. Um it's on the production side. It's like emails, man, that I just want to die. Like so many emails. And it always felt too live like I I always felt like I was a week away from not having a show to air that I deemed worthy enough to air or like proud of or that I align to. But you guys, when ad people are involved, you got to have a show ready no matter what, whether you like the show, align with the show or not like that, people don't give a shit. But here's the thing. I really give a shit. I really give a shit. I really do. So there's that. I should probably note too, like I was homeschooling three different school age kids at this time. Bronson was in the midst of scaling his business. That was gnarly. And there was also a worldwide pandemic going on. So it was a lot. 
given myself grace, but it did become too much. So I signed off knowing I needed to regroup, needed to get ahead. I wanted to feel proud of it again. And I, I, I really wanted to get a clearer strategy for vetting guests. This is, this is important to me today. Like I feel a responsibility to only bring on people here with like really good intentions, like information, valuable stuff, you know, behind the scenes stuff though. So I thought I'd figure all that out and get right back. Pardon the interruption. I am so excited to introduce to you all Open. So Open is the only app that offers breathwork, meditation, and movement classes in one app only. It has unlimited live and on-demand classes with teachers that make you feel like you are actually in person. So you guys, I've tried all the apps. I've thought about developing my own because there just hasn't been something out there that hits the mark, but I'm telling you, Open is it. They actually, they hit the ball out of the park with this one. So most of my DMs and emails are all about asking how to start this deep internal work. And now I can just shine a light on the app open because they have everything you need. And, um, I feel like I'm advanced in these practices yet. I'm still growing and stretching in these breathwork classes, these movement classes, these meditation classes. So it's for beginners and advanced people like me. Another thing I want you to know is that I've truly never had a digital experience that felt the same way as when I take an in-person class, but with open, it feels very interpersonal as if I'm sitting face to face with a teacher. So it truly takes the guesswork out of meditation, breath work, and movement. There's different classes like HIT, Pilates, yoga, and so many different types of meditation classes and breath work classes. You can customize it to your time availability. So basically, The Open app is teaching us all how to build these daily practices, which are proven to alleviate anxiety, increase energy, and improve our focus. It helps our body to relax, reduce tension, and get a restful night's sleep. I really think you guys are going to like it. So I worked with Open to get y'all 30 days free to try out and see if you enjoy it as much as I do. So there's a link in the show notes. It's um, withopen.com slash Wesley. And I'll be sharing on social too, so watch out for that. Again, you can go to withopen.com slash Wesley and use my code Wesley. You'll get 30 days free of unlimited live and on-demand breathwork, meditation, yoga, Pilates, and more. I'm so excited to hear how you guys like it. So let's get back to the show. So I take two weeks off and I notice this, this hum of anxious energy in my body. And I just wouldn't, I was, I would be like walking around my house pacing and I would catch myself doing this all day long. And I, I thought it was interesting and weird that I couldn't sit down, relax, or even do the things that I plan on doing, which is fix the production side of things. But three weeks later, four weeks later, it stayed six weeks later. Like it wasn't going away. Then I noticed my sleep patterns were off. And this is when it hit me that like for the entire year prior, I think I'd been running off of pure cortisol, stress. Like those were the chemicals that were pushing me forward each and every day. It was like my fuel. And I think I became so accustomed to the chaos of our life, the chaos that was all of our lives that year. We were all just in it, right? Like everyone was feeling the way I was feeling. So I just shrugged it off. I I chalked it up to an odd year with a lot going on, honestly. But those those weeks turned they weeks turned into months. And I I knew it was more than just stress hormones at this time. I was trying to avoid the unavoidable. Like I was like, I've already done this before. I'm not doing a spiritual awakening round two, but I could feel it. I knew it was bigger. Um, things I had always found solace in, I started to avoid. 
like, okay, for instance, I hadn't broken my daily meditation streak in 12 years. And then in April of 2021, it was the actual week that was marked to pick up this show season two back on of wake up with Wesley. Like I had it all scheduled. It was all ready to go. So that very week I slipped in the bathtub while on vacation with my whole family. Second day of vacation. You guys, I broke nine ribs on the right side of my body. I had to stop meditating. I had to stop doing my breath work. I couldn't record any episodes because you guys, when you break all your ribs, you can't breathe properly for months. You can't even sit up. You can't write. Like I couldn't talk into a microphone. How, how could you, when you can't even breathe? Like I knew I had to postpone all of my plans. And, and with that, all of my practices, like the things that I live and die by, I post, I just stopped, which is totally understandable. Like there are times in life when you get a pass, this was a total pass for me, but here's the kicker. When I healed, I did not start my spiritual practices that I normally, like I live and die by this stuff. I didn't do, I didn't pick one back up or this show. There was not a single desire in my body to do any of it anymore. And this freaked me out. Like I was blocked something. Um, also, I I always try to ration my mind out of reality. Does anyone else do this? Like I told myself then, it's so obvious what was happening, but I told myself back then I was like, oh, like life is just happening too fast because week to, to week things would shift just massively. We, we found ourselves putting our house up for sale. We bought a new house. We were moving again. And this would be Bronson and I's, I counted because I'm keeping score here, but 19th move together, my 27th move overall. And at that point, I'm only 34 years old. You guys, God damn it. Moving. It's such a point of contention in my life, never feeling settled, always on the go, not rooted, just moving. It's the one constant story in my life, more constant than any other story. And I hate it. There's that. Don't know what it means, if it means anything, but we did, we got settled into our new house and I thought I was ready to start life back up then. And you guys, life for me is this show. I mean, I'm a mom and I do this show. I live a really simple life and, and I want it that way, but there were other things lined up in the stars for me. It was only, it was within days of being in this new house that I, I began to realize I have been in a major death cycle, unlike any I've ever been in before. Like I couldn't hide that truth from myself any longer. And my friends, I've done this a time or two, but this one, it hits so different. So we had just moved into the house of our dreams. You guys, I've been dreaming up this home for 25 years, probably longer since I was a little girl. But I, we move in and I discovered myself. I would catch myself daydreaming of moving back to our old Costa Mesa rental house that we lived in like an old folks neighborhood in. And I, I caught myself doing this like every hour of the day, which was weird because I hated it there. Like there wasn't a kid in sight in that neighborhood besides my three own kids. Like it was awful. I remember all the old folks would go for walks around four each day. And I thought it would be fun to join them with like the kids. I was trying to make friends, you guys. And for the first time I ventured out, like with the kids in tow, I think I brought treats and I wanted to go on this walk that they always went on. And they, I remember saying hi across the street. They turn around, they're in jazzies and scooters and like little walkers. And they shoot us away, like with their arms, like go. Like we were a seagull at the beach, like a pesky little bird. And I, they wanted nothing to do with us. And I, I, it's funny to even think about, like, I wasn't offended then. I'm not even offended now. I think it's kind of funny. Like I understood we were messing with, with their flow. 
we spent over two years in that house totally isolated. There were no couple friends near, no kids for my kids to play with. Bronson worked really long hours. And I'm great at isolation, people. It's kind of my vibe. But even for me, those were the two most isolating years of my existence. So I was like, why am I fantasizing about going back there? Like to that time, it was a little hell. Like, especially after we just bought our dream house or our dream house. And then I realized it's because that home, that time period, it's where everything alchemized in my life. Like it was. It was the other big goo phase for me, like a snotty, soupy chrysalis moment. Like I had been meditating for eight years at that time, daily, changing my thought patterns. Like I've said, Marie Kondoing my own belief system, deconstructing my former religious beliefs, medical beliefs, all the beliefs, beliefs about being a woman, motherhood, um, genuinely everything. You've heard it all from me before. Go listen to season one. But in that old folks neighborhood, in my bathtub each and every morning, the mental, spiritual, and physical shifts I was making alchemized. They manifested in my body. Real change was happening and I became something new. Like I was more embodied. I had a spontaneous Kundalini awakening there and nothing, not a thing in my life has been the same since that day. It took, I I mean, I know it took the isolation for that type of transformation to happen, to get there. Like that home was my cocoon. And as I was dissolving my old self there, melting myself down, the space between heaven and earth opened up for me there. Like truly mystical and magical things happen. Things that I don't speak out loud often because I know they'd be dismissed by the majority of the masses. I know I'd be labeled cuckoo, crazy, whatever. And I truly don't care to be believed because I know, I know they're real. So I keep them for me for myself, for my most trusted people, for a certain members of my family, not everyone gets this. And it's weird. I mean, I guess you guys get this. I guess I trust you because I'm telling all you, I don't even tell most of my family this, but I'm telling you. So, oh, God, I'm feeling this right now. So I, I know I talk a bit about plant medicine here and there, but I feel the need to say this, that I hadn't even crossed that bridge at this time. Like the work done in that house was on me, myself and I, God, no plant medicine was ever used. And that time, that period of life changed me so much so that I believed, I really, really, really believed I wouldn't have to revisit these dark, isolating moments ever again. Like I I, I didn't think that life would be easy for me for forever, but like this type of darkness, this type of isolation, I thought this was a one and a done. Um, I thought I, I crossed a bridge I wouldn't ever have to cross, cross back over on. But here I am back on that bridge. Let's fast forward. So from that time, we moved to Utah. Our life changes for the better. We start a new business. I start this show. We make all new friends. We have our families back close to us. It's the whole reason we moved back to Utah. We, we were seeking family. But December 2020, man, really kicked off for me. So without, hmm, <laughs> gosh, you guys. Without going into too much detail because boundaries, people, boundaries, they're big for me right now. I can tell you, though, that like a cascading crescendo of messed up shit, messed up events just kept hitting like a set of waves coming in, stormy, relentlessly too. Like, And all the while, things are going great in the 3D realm of life, right? Like the stuff we're all told we should value and strive for, 
the jobs, possessions, all that sort of stuff. The house, we got a new house. That's all great. Grateful for all that stuff. It's good. But I realized real quickly that I don't actually value or care about the 3D growth that we're all taught to covet. As much as I care about like my, how I feel, my, the 5D, the fulfillment, the soul fulfillment, like my life's dharma, my soul's contract here. This is what I actually value truly. And I've, I've always known that. Like I, I, uh, but I, I just have felt very like off course in this side of the arena of my life with the stuff I actually value and hold dear. Like, and what's funny about all this is that I know I'm not a person that needed this lesson or reminder because I've always known you guys, I've always been this way. Like I don't really care about a lot of the stuff we're told we should care about. My mom, my mom even told me, she's like, Wesley, you were like this as a three-year-old, as a four-year-old. She would tell me stories of me being like a toddler baby all the way through my childhood being like, mom, don't worry. Money doesn't matter. She would get a ticket and I'd be like, mom, who cares? This doesn't matter. Like materials don't matter. Cars don't matter. Clothes don't matter. She told me she couldn't get me to pick out new school clothes for each new grade because I didn't get the point. Like I'd be like, mom, why? Even as a kid, I just, I had clothes in my closet. Why would I need more? Like (laughs) really all the stuff we value today, I genuinely couldn't really care less about as even as a child. And to an extent now I do enough to get by and thank God for Bronson because he covers all the bases for me here. Like, but this sort of stuff just, it doesn't take up a lot of real estate in my mind. I want comfort. I want safety. I want connection. I want food on my table and I want to laugh. That's what I value most out of this 3D life. So, I mean, if we have that, we're good. So, yeah, I've felt really off and I felt off about feeling off. I felt like I should be happier. I should be more grateful. But feelings don't lie. Energy doesn't lie. And I I, I started to feel into the reality that a part of it was that as my show grew in this space, a part of my offness was feeling like a commodity, like my name, my likeness. It started to get talked about and thrown around in rooms with a price tag attached. And I think that I thought that all of us think that this should make you feel happy and valuable. But I would be in rooms where people were talking not to me, but about me, in front of me, and strategizing ways to push their agenda through me and my platform. And I don't, I, I, started to realize I was becoming like a tool for men in their businesses to use, like this shiny little lure that bigger, more wise fishermen could use to get what they want through me and through my audience, through you, like using me and they're using you just so you know. And while I understand it, I do, I fucking get it. I understand business and marketing. I understand it. I don't want to demonize it, but does it mean I have to sit back and just like it? Because I found out I don't like it, but we all have to do it. That's what everyone tells me. You have to do it, right? We're just, I don't know. Maybe we all have to do this. We're just stuck in this never-ending loop to to have a home, to have shelter, to have food. So uh, like I accepted that I'm a shiny little lure. And basically just old patterns of mine start to creep up. Like I go dead inside, man. Like that's that's what happens is I'm like, oh, turn off feelings, just act through the day. So so my own shadow that I thought I conquered by and by conquering, like I it just you, it means you become aware. You conquer your shadow by simply identifying it. Um, you don't demonize it. It's it's just there. And you consciously choose to make a new choice in and around it. But 
But the shadowy sides of us all are so freaking interesting to me. Like it's people like, oh, the shadow, the shadow. Like it's like this thing they don't want to talk about. I like love talking about the shadow right now because it's fascinating because I've discovered that once you slay it, which is you become aware of it, they have the ability to morph into a newer version of themselves so that you don't recognize it. This is what I found out in the last few years. Shadows are shapeshifters and shadows are slippery little buggers. You can't hold on to them. Just talk about mine. I gave you a little bit. So my shadow looks like being unsure, indecisive. It it displays itself by being a people pleaser, outlending myself, agreeing to things I have no energy for. It manifest in my body by going dead inside. Like I said, like it just, it wants to keep the peace over speaking truth. And (laughs) I think it's because I realized my truth always seems just to be a tad disruptive. Like, (laughs) uh, it's funny, but my shadow is super self-deprecating says yes. When I want to say no, it starts looking outside of myself for answers to questions that I know I have the answers to internally. Like my shadow thinks it doesn't know what's right for me and that other people must. Like it starts outsourcing my knowing. Capital capital K knowing. Like and my shadow starts it it like it allows people to walk all over me, use me, gaslight beat, not not appreciate me. Like it allows people to own me. My shadowy sides it 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 lets it allows people to claim me my time and my energy and it calls it service and it's not service but it's it's the boundaryless side of me and all these things started to manifest in my life as clear as day in not one aspect in all in all my relationships in my feelings in my home everywhere so yeah, where have I been for the last 20 months? I've been swimming in these dark waters, trying to figure this stuff out, doing everything I've learned to do in dark times. But all the while through, nothing is sticking. And if you listen back to season one, my one constant about my first initial wake-up call to life was that I know it would have been a lot easier if I had appropriate support. So my advice to all of you guys going through something similar is to get support. But for me at that time, just like I know for the majority of you, this is what it's like to be alive in America today. Support is a financial commitment you cannot commit to. It's unattainable. It is simply out of reach, not in the cards for you. And that was me. I did not have 200 extra dollars a month to spend on myself for therapy or coaches or courses or freaking clothes or food. So I want you to know that if this is you, I feel you on a sickening level. I understand. And I I could do it on my own. So I, obviously you can too, but I just know it's harder and it's a longer road. So I vowed that if I ever went anywhere near where I was before, that I would get all the support I could responsibly afford. And I have. So in the past 20 months, I have committed to it all. And I'm going to tell you what I've done. And I want you to hear me when I say you don't need to do all this. This is just what I'm into. This is what I can do. So I'm going to. But like before, go listen to my season one. I did this all in my bathtub every day with a notebook. But now for the last 20 months, I have been committed to traditional talk therapy. I found the most genuinely this person changed my life more than any one thing I've ever done. And you're going to hate me because she wants to remain private for the time being. So everyone's going to ask who she is. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you, but I have found this beautiful angel of a woman who does 
all of these combined in an hour and a half session. I go once a week. It's energy work, EMDR, and inner child work. I have completed ketamine therapy. I've done four more Shipibo ayahuasca ceremonies. You guys, the Shipibo tradition, it's just the best. It's my favorite. I have to say that. It's my favorite. Um, I've done seven sessions with Combo. I went on a solo and I basically it was silent too. So alone and silent walkabout in Sedona for a week. I thought I was going to get eaten by a lion every single day of my life or kidnapped. That was a treat. But oh God. Okay. I also, I did the most intense one-on-one psilocybin journey of my life. It was over a hero's dose. It ended up being 5.4 grams and God almighty, it rivaled any and all ayahuasca ceremonies I've ever had. It changed me in ways I didn't see coming. So after all that and about 20 months of support, dedication, and reverence I put towards this deep internal work and healing, it all started to click just as I thought it would never click again. Right when I started to accept the gross sticky energy that I had been feeling, I, I honestly just started telling Bronson, hey, this is the new me. Cynical, not trusting, doom and gloom, frustrated. Hi. <laughs> this is me now. I'm not singing in my car, dancing in my kitchen. Like I just accepted that. Like, yeah, maybe this is age. Maybe this is what it feels like to be a woman this old with this age of kids. It hits you like a brick. You have no energy, no real desire. Um, but after I had done all that work and finally got to the level of acceptance, like, oh yeah, this is just me right now. I'm cynical and jaded and I don't trust anyone. I decided to do that one psilocybin journey that I just talked about. And I wasn't ready for what came out of that experience. And I, it's a, it's an episode in its own. I'll go there. But like, I can tell you that I got to the root of it all for me in that journey. And it is what I already kind of knew, but I felt into it differently. Like it was this sticky, tentacly root that wrapped around my whole body. It's like, it, it's, it's my distrust of human beings because I deeply trust myself and I trust my, and I trust life. Like life always works out great for me, but I don't fucking trust people. And let me tell you, I have good reason. I, I, I don't allow people to love me fully because, because of this. And I'm great at loving people, but not being loved back. And this causes a pain in me so significant that it devoured my spark, like my will to live fully embodied. It it gobbled up my life force, that burning fire of desire that lives in all of our sacral centers. Like my my sacral is is both my compass and my fuel source. Like I have a really strong sacral chakra. And when I'm in alignment, my sacral life force is super childlike, like playful, dreaming. There's always infinite possibilities. And I know with everything in me, I'm capable of attaining it all. Like whatever I desire is possible. That's a knowing for me. And when that fire in me dims, I'm usually quite on top of it, aware of it. And my practices always seem to stoke that fire back up. I get it back to burning bright. So somewhere along the line in 2021, 2022, that fire burnt out. And there wasn't an ember left for me to fan back into like a flame. Like it was out, out, out. And discovering this, feeling into this, it was like a a mourning, a deep sorrow. It was devastating to me. Like I grieved, but 
everything started to make sense to me, logical sense. And I could, I could finally put the pieces together a little bit in a new way. And, and maybe I'm just like, I'm cerebral this way, but like the hows and the whys are so important to me. Like I need to understand things in my head because, because when I do, then I can know better what to avoid and where to go. And that, that one psilocybin journey showed me that my life force, it started to die when my life became filled with more have tos than want tos, like all work and no play makes whatever, you know, like that, (laughs) that. And then it's when I started to feel more fear about life than joy. When suddenly you get everything you think you should ever want and you feel as empty as you've ever felt before. Like when, when your motherhood shifts into this place of not being needed or valued as much emotionally any longer, yet the workload and the the workload of like the home, the schedules, the activities, the schools, the social lives, they need you so much more and it is emptier than ever. You're just used. When when you have little kids, it's like they want you and it's this loving relationship and it's playful and happy and laughter. And then you get older kids and you're just this thing like to get them what they want. And it's like I've experienced this in a new way and it's motherhood can feel like you're just a maid or a chauffeur, or like a a chef in place of what it actually is, which is a deeply rich and meaningful relationship. And when they're little, they want that relationship. And when they're older, they don't. <laughs> and it sucks. But I mean, so everything's shifting, everything's growing, everything's transitioning. And my other relationships became a place of duty too, not true desire. Like they weren't places. I mean, I think it became Like I just couldn't meet the needs of everyone. I didn't feel valued. And it's not that it wasn't my feelings. I wasn't valued, appreciated, or even seen. I felt controlled, voiceless. And then when I would speak my truth, it was never what what anyone wanted to hear. So I was disappointing the people I care about by having a voice or an opinion that differed from theirs. Like I wasn't as agreeable and never enough, just never enough. Trying, really genuinely trying but continuing like like I was just failing, falling short. And God, I feel jealous of people who say they're like, I'm just too much. I'm so much for everybody. I'm too much because you guys, I feel the opposite. I don't feel enough. That's my thing is I'm like, how do you feel too much? I'm never enough. Like there's not enough of me to go around. Everyone's grabbing, grabbing, grabbing at me. And I'm a shell of a human, a shell of a woman right now. And our, our family life, my marriage – our work life, our social life, it all started to merge and shift into this giant glob, this fucking one-celled organism mass. And I didn't know where one ended and the other started. And it was just this thing, this one huge thing. Our whole life became everything. And I wanted out of it all. And guess what? I still kind of do. I want to live in a year somewhere in some pretty meadow in Switzerland. Like that sounds real nice to me right now. So currently... (laughs) I'm in the place of acceptance about all of this. I've I've accepted that we can work and effort for our entire lives. We can build up the life of our dreams and pull into your driveway one night with everything you think you should want and realize simply like, cool, capable of that. Turns out though, don't really want any of it. And this, you guys, is when people burn down their lives. (laughs) And burning down your life is such a strange place to be because, hi, hi, hey, here I am, been building this thing up for 15 years, a family life, a personal life, a career I thought I could and should 
be proud of. And I guess I am proud of it, but it turns out I don't want any of it. I want to burn it down. I want to start fresh. I want to start new. I have lost my spark for the last two years and I've spent the majority of those years trying to get that same one back. But it turns out that spark, that juicy internal flame driving me and you and everyone forward, it's there for you to get you precisely to where you need to be. And then once you're there, it just goes. It burns out. You guys, I think this is where they get the term burnout from. Like, I think it's real. I think it's real. I think it's more visceral than any of us give it credit. Like, I believe it's real. There is this internal flame in all of us that can die if and when you don't feed it what it truly desires. That for me is gospel. That's real. So when mine died, I now realize it was like a futile effort of mine trying to capture that same spark back because you guys, it's dead. You cannot make dead things alive again. You just can't. I know because I tried, but you can birth new things out of death. So prior prior to all this, my life always happened to me and for me, constantly riding the wave of life. But for the last few seasons of life, I switched it up. I'm in choice. I am the conscious creator of my life. So currently, right now, I've been consciously creating a new spark for me to fan into a flame to replace the one that died. And there are times, you guys, I just, I like can see it in my mind. I feel like this little kid down in the South, late at night, trying to catch lightning bugs in a mason jar just desperate for any light or little heat or spark to enter my body. There is a desperation in this hunt. I I mean, it needs to be stated because it's so weird when you lose your desire. You do not know what you want. It's the oddest thing I've ever experienced, but suddenly you're really, 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 really clear on what you don't want anymore. So I kind of captured the first little light or heat, whatever. When I, when I realized what I truly desire right now most in life is women. Like, I really desire this. I desire a strong, almost like, is it like old-fashioned? What's the word? It's like ancient. Like an ancient type of women gathering, women's circles. Like I want to commune with old women, middle-aged women, women my same age, girls becoming women, women coming up. Like I desire community, connectivity, face-to-face. Like I want wisdom and I want safety and I want cuddle puddle dens where no one's worried about the aesthetic or the charcuterie boards or taking pictures or tagging people or what we're wearing. Like I want the fucking red tent. (laughs) I want the red tent tent again. Like I want men and their games and the social climbers and the business marketers to leave me the fuck alone. Like I, maybe this won't last for forever, but right now it's a big part of my healing saying what I think and feel this honesty, being honest about what I want and what I don't want. And what I want is to escape this matrix, this, the followers, the growth projections, the emails, the fucking algorithms, like the branding, everyone's a brand. Like I detest it all. And contrary to any spiritual thought leader or whoever's of importance. This detest feels so good inside of me because it's true. And whatever's true is always in my highest alignment. So I am tired of the rat race pace, you guys. I'm tired of the trends. Why do we we, we insist on looking like one another, dressing like one another? We as women value this shit. We're obedient to it. 
I am obedient to it and it is shit. Make no excuses about that. Like, God, we are sitting here spending our money, like just right now on Aritzia one pieces and linen button ups when we could spend that money on genuinely anything else. Anything, go on a vacation, go sit in a salt cave, go get a massage. Like, I don't know, but I'm tired of feeling like I should be caring about this stuff that brings me absolutely no joy and is draining to my life force just to stay relevant and make you believe I'm important. I am tired. I am a woman who is tired. I want to scream at the top of a mountain, aren't I good enough as I am? Aren't we all good enough as we are? Can we stop doing what we're doing to each other, categorizing one another, doxing people, climbing the societal social ladder, watching and eagerly ready to pounce when someone makes a human error, a human thing, a mistake, canceling people who say things we don't like. Like if it's killing me, I know it's killing you because we aren't fucking designed to be this way. We are lacking true connection. We're all afraid to say the wrong things. So we are puppets. We're all becoming puppets. We're performing for one another, talking heads, regurgitating the right shit instead of the real shit. And we are stuck. And I crave intimacy, emotional intimacy, true intimacy. I crave safety. I want to be known. God, that feels like so good to say out loud. I want to be known, known for my thoughts, known for my words and my heart. And I want to know that in you again too. I don't want to watch people anymore. I want to know people again. I want to honor my love language. And I love people by being available, by seeing their heart and their gifting and their efforting. And I call it out and almost everyone I meet, stranger or not, it's like a fucking tick. I truly cannot help myself. It's Tourette's. But over the last two years, I can't do this anymore. Like my My love language is changing, and you guys, I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm angry about all of this. I'm angry at life, at what we're all expected to do in a day because it's too much. And I'm angry how it all feels. And we're all just sticking our heads in the sand and and calling it like, oh, it's life. Get used to it. Just do it. You You better get more organized. No. Like, I'm raging. I'm fed up. I'm fucking done. I'm done. And this is holy rage. This is sacred rage. It's something I learned was unacceptable for a woman to feel angry. And especially as a spiritual woman, right? Like, Ooh, there's a thing for you. Like, like look at that side of it. It's a whole nother of a hilarity to me. Like a spiritual woman can't feel angry. Like, but I am. I'm fucking mad. And it's my wisdom that lit the match to the sacred rage fire. It's my wisdom that is fed up. It is my wisdom that is done. It is my wisdom pushing me to take a break, even though every suit in this business tells me I'm an idiot and I'll never get the momentum back. It's my wisdom that is burning down every untrue relationship, every unhealthy pattern in my life, every toxic system all around me. It's my wisdom who declared no more people in my home. It's my wisdom who said not another weekend night out or dinner date being somewhere I don't want to be with people I don't want to be with. It's my wisdom who ripped my kid out of school in a fiery hell fire. Swear words flying, you guys. It is my wisdom who made that scene, who demands to be heard. It's my wisdom who decided to no longer be a nice girl. I am now a much more informative, kind woman. I tell it how it is now. I am more honest and a whole lot less likable, and that's fine with me. 
It's my wisdom who lit the match to this holy rage. And it is holy. My rage is holy. Do not make a mistake about that. Wisdom and rage go hand in hand. And when I reduce the last two years of my life down, I feel like it can be summed up in two words only, nice and kind. Because in the last two years, I've been, I mean, I've been called overly nice, too nice, right? Like, oh, and then (laughs) you're just nice. Wesley, you're so nice. You're too nice. You need to be, you need to just tell it how, how it is. And then when you start telling it how it is, that pendulum swings real fast into, oh, you're a bitch. Or, ooh, you're fake. Because I guess when you break character from being nice for years on end and have some real honest conversations, some real honest moments, it can come off like you're fake. But what I see is that it's not fakeness, it's a fed upness. Like, it almost puts people's walls up. They distrust this niceness, but what they don't understand is that it's never been my niceness, it's always been my kindness, which is my heart, my gifting. And now I'm still me, but not everyone gets my kindness. Not everyone gets my heart because we don't trust each other as people anymore. So what this tells me is that we're so used to being gross to one another, that when someone sees people the way that I do and I speak it, it's considered weird. And then this, I do, I do what I do, which is see people, but then I don't text them because honestly, fuck phones. So then a person who is kind, but doesn't value constant communication and ass kissing and checking in, then they're fake. (laughs) So like, It's just now it's clear to me that we've created rules around relationships and what it means to be a good human in today's world that is just it's new and weird and it's not real. But we're walking around talking about it like it's real and acceptable. But when my mom, when she was raising us, she talked to her people on a dial up phone, maybe once, twice, three times a month. She socialized with the neighbors when they ran into each other outside mowing the lawn. It was enough. It was real too. She had fun. People understood the flow of life. But now we have this duty to check in daily, to text, DM, Twitter, like, hype. You guys, it's a lot. And there's some good. I see the support. I see the connectivity. I see how we're women helping women. I wish you could see me using air quotes right now. Because yes, there's that. But also, can't you see the shadow? Because if you look closely enough or honestly enough at this, you will see it. You will see it, this never-ending checklist of availability that cell phones and the internet and apps have brought into our lives. Yes, there's good parts, good in some aspects, yet so destructive in others. And it, it, because it means that we're not present in our real life anymore, that the life, the one that really matters, the real life, the life we came here to live is secondary to our digital life for most people alive today, if you're an adult. And it's my belief that we're all too fucking new at this to have it fully figured out. Like, cause think about this Think I had to Google this. These are facts Googleable. Like the earth has been around for what? 4.5 billion years. People who knows how long there's conflicting data with people. So we don't know the exact on when humans arrived here. We have theories. There's a jawbone found. They say that's 2.8 million years old. It's human. And then some say that the first evidence of humans being on earth is only 800,000 years old. So let's just marry the two, fall somewhere in the middle and say that humans have been kicking it on earth for possibly a million years. And in a million years, have we ever had devices to correspond with people instantly? Did we ever have the ability to connect to thousands, to hundreds of thousands, to even millions of people at once? No. Maybe we did in some ancient civilization sometime at Atlantis. We don't know for sure. There's no record. So we're going to assume we didn't. So this shit, you guys, the way that we're living and connecting to one another is so new in the whole scheme of things. It's all within the last 20 years. 20 years. 
out of a million years of being a human and we think we've got it figured out, (laughs) we don't have it figured out as much as we think. We don't know the effect of what this is doing to us all. But I can tell you my feelings, my instinct, my knowing, and what's on my heart, and it doesn't feel right. So this being constantly available, even though availability is sort of my love language, it's something I'm going to lose at. I just will because I'm available face-to-face. That's what I want. I want to be present in person. And when I'm not present in person, I want to be working on my life, myself, my family, my home, my kids. I just want to be doing nothing. Why the fuck do we all think that we should be checking in on one another so often, following our friends? Find my friends is the weirdest shit to me. You want to be looking at where all your people are? That's weird. If you're not, I mean, I just, I don't know. If you're wanting to connect with me on a phone or through an email or text, I'm a damn ghost. Out of sight, out of mind. Have to say it. And I have to say it because this is a part of me losing my spark. This, me doing what I do, seeing people the way I see them, saying it, and then people being like, well, I don't hear from you, so you're not real. And my inner child, you guys, this this little girl inside of me has taken this to heart because because I got fooled into thinking that my realness is wrong, that it must be wrong of me to display outwardly what I feel, inwardly. Like it makes people uncomfortable or worse, Like I do it, I do display outwardly what I'm feeling inwardly about people, but then I'm stuck, trapped in this loop of constant communication and checking in and all the ways on all the platforms. And I'm not good at that. Truth is, I don't want to be good at that. Like, because the more I'm on those things and apps and devices, the more spark I lose, the more me I lose, the real me. So I shut up. I withdraw. This is the first bucket of water on my sacral fire only to be followed by so many more. But what I'm telling you now is that I don't care. I know I'm not wrong anymore. What I believe to be wrong is the way we're supposed to keep up with all this stuff. It's going against nature. So I really, really don't care any longer to pretend that I'm professional and on it. I don't ever want to be on it in the way that today's day and age demands us to be on it. It's not something I'm striving for. And I realize it's probably, it probably makes me hard to love or respect because I refuse to play this game. Like the juxtaposition of me and my essence must be odd. I see it. I'm aware, but I'd rather be hard to love by others than not love myself any longer. And as I've been deep in this work with like the trusted practitioners, I know my path moving forward in life and it's with strong, respected women who I honor, who I hold reverent. It's with the wise women, the sages, the crones. It's with women who walk about this life with an unshakable sense of integrity. I no longer have the availability for little girl games. And this was my psilocybin journey. That's what it was all about. Little girl shit versus woman shit. And what this means to me is that I know I I cannot, not, not even want, I was going to say I no longer want to, I no longer can entertain the little girl that is alive in me too, who is messy and dips into these games we all find ourselves playing from time to time, like gossip, comparison, likes, comments, judgments, the click shit, toxicity, body stuff too, lump it there. So like group all this together, call it something, it's called little girl shit. Like this version of me, she's got to go too. This season has been her death. The messy, melodramatic little girl inside me who insists she hates drama, but actually dips into it every so often to feel valuable or worthy or liked by others. I'm moving on from her because I can't take her where I'm going. 
This is what my caterpillar had to melt down and eat. This is it. And here's the thing about letting go of the shadowy parts of ourselves. To let go, you have to honor them fully. You have to feel them fully. They're screaming for attention. So you got to stop life. Full stop. Halt. You got to cocoon up. And you have to pay attention to the screaming little kid inside of you throwing fits. You have to build up your a little chrysalis and eat the parts of yourself that aren't serving you anymore. You actually have to kill them off. Use them like nutrients to build up something new in yourself. So I've been doing the most intense inner child work of my life so far with a woman who is gifted in this arena. So I have some accountability too, because I think I need it <laughs> at this level. So I've been reparenting my inner child. I mean, letting her play out her life's wishes, her pain, her sadness, her joy, addressing the deep-rooted trauma. And there's a lot, a real lot, and that's okay. And I, I've not left her side for months, almost a year now. I, I understand now that this version of me is just actually really brave and lonely and just a scared little girl trying to do anything to be loved and accepted. And more than ever, I feel her strength too. So now when strong or strange emotions come up for me, I know it's her knocking at the door of my consciousness. Like she's wanting attention. And and when she's throwing a tantrum or you guys, oh, I heard this on Instagram. This is so good. When you're hysterical, it's historical. It's inner child shit. When you're hysterical, that is historical. And that is so true. It is your little inner child screaming for love and affection and attention. So I have done that. Not a stone in me has gone unturned. But as I was on those flipping stones, I became, I, I guess I, I came up on the last one, right? Like, and as soon as I flipped it over and dealt with whatever was underneath, I don't remember, but I do remember that I felt her go like my, the messy me. <laughs> she died because honestly, why wouldn't she? Because this is nature and nature, everything dies. Death is good. So now there's not a sticky four-year-old or 11-year-old or 16-year-old part of me that's alive. So, so why were those aspects still there up until this last year? And it's because they needed to be attended to. And then once they were, they died and death isn't sad, you guys. It's the one thing I've learned about. One thing I've learned about me in this last year is that I live in the in-between. I'm like a birth person and a death person, a messy person, a gooey person. Like I did a whole journey where I saw myself as a junk drawer for like the entirety of the journey. And I think all women can relate to being a junk drawer. <laughs> Like you guys, it's so, it was so funny to me in the moment. Like I'm a junk drawer type of person. Like a junk drawer is just full of shit. They're always also full of what you need and what you're looking for too. Like, and if you're good at cleaning them out, you always find treasures. There are treasures to be found as a woman who identifies as a junk drawer. Like throw everything at me. I'll hold it. I keep it safe. And junk drawers also, they're necessary. Every home has one. You need one. So I, yeah, I'm a junk drawer or an in-between person. I live and die in the in-between spaces of life. I reside there. I'm good there. I think it's my gifting. I think I need to be a death and a birth doula. Like give me the shit, the not pretty, the messy, the mourning and the joy, like the despair and the elation and the humanness, the bodily excrements, the slimy snot puddle, the goo phases, the most human we can ever human is both in death and birth and the in-betweens. And I want to bear witness to all of those spaces of being a human. 
So with the the care and the love and the nurturing of my inner child, yes, her death came. And it turns out that she was ready to go. She was ready to move on and not be as present in my present life. And, and with her death started the birth of my woman self. You see how death creates space for something new. Like death and birth are the same, my loves. It's the same. It's the caterpillar. It dies to become the butterfly. So this season of my life is about becoming a woman. Right now, I feel like I'm in puberty. Like I'm almost there, but not quite yet. I'm in the in-between still. And to be the woman I want to become, I know I must surround myself with women I respect, who I hold reverent. And how do I do this in the land of TikToks and Reels? I'm unsure, but I know I want it. And that want, that desire, that's my spark. I've captured it. The new one though. It's, it's, this is, this is new. So now I will do my best to fan it into a flame, like a, like a little ball of light that resides in my body. Pardon the interruption guys, Wes here. I'm doing the ad thing again, but this time around it's my own ad, which feels so good to say out loud. So Season one, I sold my now. It's kind of infamous. It's the do no harm, take no shit, yin yang crew. It's made its rounds on the good old fashioned World Wide Web. It's taken on an identity of its own. It's been so fun to watch and even more fun to run into people in the wild wearing it. So if you if you head on over to my website right now, wakeupwithwesley.com, you can shop that yin yang crew. But I now get the pleasure of introducing to you all my brand new Metamorphosis collection. So this Metamorphosis collection has been heavily inspired by this sticky, yucky goo phase that I'm talking to you all about right now that I've been in. I live here. Um, I actually want to celebrate this because I think it's quite an honorable thing. But there is genuinely, I really mean this, there is so much beauty, there's so much symbolism behind the artwork and all of these new pieces that I've created. I'm so incredibly proud of this line. I've got hoodies in all different sizes. I've got an oversized crew neck in the designs. And then I, this is like, hand. this is custom. It is the perfect fit. And I really mean it's the perfect fit, you guys. It's an oversized sort of like, it's a boxy fitting t-shirt. It's in both the Metamorphosis collection and in the Do No Harm, Take No Shit designs. So please head on over to my shop right now at wakeupwithwesley.com. Any purchases you make there go right back into the production side of this show. And also it just means the world to me. You guys, I notice I read all your names. And if I see you in public wearing one of my things, I just might sneak attack koala bear, hug you out of excitement. And I'm warning you because this, um, I just seem to lack most basic human boundaries. And I have done this to a total stranger wearing my crew neck at a fair this last summer. And she thought I was kidnapping her. So like, this is your warning. It's funny and sad, but mostly funny. So just buy my stuff. If you like my stuff, I like my stuff. It's comfy. It's cozy. It's deeply meaningful. It's a nod to all of you people out there doing hard stuff with a smile on your face and warmth in your heart. I see you. I get you. I honor your goo phase. Now let's get back to the show. So yeah, welcome to season two of Wake Up With Wesley. We are becoming women this year. So when I finally got off my ass and decided to do this thing all over again, the second time around, I made the decision to call upon a few of the women in my life that I revere as holy to be more like frequent voices around here for season two, which means you will be hearing some voices much more often than before. But 
as things progressed here, like in all the behind the scenes production stuff, multiple wrenches have been thrown into our gears. And that is putting it mildly because they they have been more like grenades, like life grenades, like shrapnel has flown far and wide, much beyond what our silly little plans were for this show. But isn't this what it means to be a woman? Because we're just good with life grenades because we have to be. We adjust, we shift, we take the punches as they come and we still choose to show up. And I guess that this has has showed me how badly I actually do want this because even after months of planning and organizing and then three weeks before today, the air date of this show, everything blows up and all the plans get pushed to the side for much more big, important, real life things. And I still wake up knowing this is exactly where I need to be. It's where I want to be. I meant to be here for some reason. So yeah. You'll be hearing so much more about this specifically later on from my best friend in the world. Her name's Jessica Corton. This will be for a later date, but as for now, season two looks like it's going to be a few conversations between some of the closest, most wise women I know in my life. It's a lot of solos by me, as well as a few other interviews here and there with guests, but honestly, not a lot so far. It's mostly just me and a few of my beloveds talking, having a conversation, much like how we do behind closed doors, but now publicly. I know that for most of the conversations here this season, I this won't be the me. This won't be the voice or the tone you'll be hearing from the most often. But everything inside me is just like, hey, it's going to be this way. So when I'm alone and when I have to pull from like the depths of my soul and my psyche to do solos, I just have this feeling that this part of my vo- voice, this tone is going to be the one driving. So you deserve to know that this this side of me, I think it's how I'll heal it and grow from it and by by sharing this voice. And also, isn't it just interesting about like the actual fact, the real truth that in one little human body like my own, we can be a multitude of different people, like different personalities in one body. That's all of us. Like I can be grateful and excited about my life and fully raging about that exact same life in the same moment. And I just find it fascinating. So I guess it's being human. Maybe my job here is I maybe it's just to show all sides of myself. Not just the pleasant, happy, positive side, but the underbelly of me too because she's just as important. And I don't really know where this is going to be totally blunt, but I I do know that it feels more in alignment and I'm ready for it now. So that that feels good. <clears throat> so I guess <laughs> Yep. Welcome back to season two of Waking Up with Wesley. We're becoming women this year, and I guess you'll just have to come back next week for more. See you then, guys.